It is good to see all of you. I know we have some people uh, watching online this morning, so good to see you. Uh, I, I get te- random text messages say, hey, I'm online today. Just want to let you know why. People are online, by the way, and they're home for all sorts of reasons, whether it be illness, things going on with their kids, and, and different things. And I just want you to know that it's an avenue for you to continue to plug in with us. It's always better being here. It's always better being in person. There's something I believe that the Spirit of God does in this place as, as we come together, but uh, as we'll look at today, God also shows up in, in some ordinary places, and, and so I want to take a look at that. As we do, I, I want to jump in and, and tell you about somebody that I really enjoyed in seminary. Uh, her name was Sydney Park, Dr. Park. She was a New Testament professor, and I, I really liked her. Uh, I, I really liked her because a lot of people didn't. Um, she's not going to be listening to this sermon, I'm sure, so I, I'm good. She was... Uh, this New Testament professor, she was just really into the, into the word and the text, and she was from Chicago. I went to seminary in the South, and so like her, her manners weren't the same kind of manners they were used to. She just kind of spoke bluntly, and the, the way she kind of spoke and taught was like, okay, there are some cultural assumptions that you all are making that, that probably really don't jive with Jesus in the scriptures, and so she would just kind of get into that stuff, and it was in a time of my life where I really, I really just needed that. I just wanted somebody just to tell me, hey, what do the scriptures say? What do they mean? Who was Jesus actually? And, and all of those sorts of things. So I really liked her. And too, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, so I can handle a little more of just kind of, just tell me what you're thinking. Uh, sometimes and instead of, and I loved living in the South, kind of the, the like, bless your heart um, <laughs> sort of thing. And, and so I, I, really, I really enjoyed her, and she became a friend, and, and we even, Emily and I even had her over for dinner a couple times after we got married, um, and had a lot of fun with her. Well, uh, one of the things that really surprised me about her, though, was when she began to share her testimony to the class one day, uh, she began to share how she kind of came to faith and what drew her to Jesus, and she said one word, photosynthesis. Yeah, I had the same look right there, that one. What are you talking about? Because I assumed to this lady who was deeply devoted to the text, like kind of no nonsense that, uh, and, and just kind of like a linear thinker, that she was having a Bible study with someone or reading her Bible or whatever, then all of a sudden that it, it just clicked. Or, or, or even being of Korean descent, that she was raised in the Korean church uh, which a, a lot of Koreans are, are, are Christians. I don't know if you know that or not. And um, so maybe she's just raised in the church and, and she came to faith that way or uh, that she was at this worship service or reading C.S. Lewis or, or something like that. Uh, but no, she said photosynthesis. She said, I was a, a student at the University of Chicago and had a lot of doubts and, and really uh, wasn't seeking after God um, and, and kind of moved away from him and, and just, just wasn't my thing. She said, I'm sitting in my apartment in Chicago and I look out the window at some of my plants and realize that without photosynthesis and that process happening, almost none of us and nothing else exists. And she said, the, the way that that has to happen and the way that the earth is formed and set up, she said, at that point, I believed that we had to be here on purpose and there had to be a creator. And from there on out, she began to see God. Now, I'm not going to teach you 
about the ins and outs of photosynthesis because I was raised in the era of Billy Madison and <laughs> chlorophyll, no, borophyll. You know, so, so we're. But for her, right? For her, she got to the point where she believed in the beginning was God. And then as she began to seek after God, what she discovered is what we discover as we have an experience with God and also as we seek after the God that's in the text of the Bible, that we, when we get to Colossians 1-3, we, we have this passage that reminds us that everything was created by him, whether in heaven and in earth, whether visible or invisible, thrones, authorities, dominions, powers, that everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus, and she got herself to that point where she strongly believed that, in fact, leaving everything else behind and deciding to follow Jesus. It happened through photosynthesis. Wild. As we look at Christmas, and we think about Advent and Christmas, Advent and Christmas in a very real way is about God breaking into our lives in ways that we don't expect. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the shepherds today. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 2 of Luke's gospel. I'm going to begin in verse 9. Chapter 2 of Luke's gospel. I'm going to begin in verse 9. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Now I want you to notice the context. They are outside Bethlehem in a field at night. They're not in a temple. In other words, they're not at church. They're not talking to their local rabbi. They're not reading their Bibles. Uh, it doesn't seem like they are in prayer. Instead, they're maybe looking at the night sky, maybe even dreaming a little bit. And, hey, someday we're going to own these sheep, and we're not going to have to work night shift. Right? Maybe they're talking about their families. They're probably young guys, so they might be single, talking about some cute girl they saw in town. These are working class men, uh, so they might be cutting it up, maybe even talking about some things that they shouldn't be. I think it's a fairly safe assumption because we're told they were terrified. God's glory shows up in this moment, whatever they were doing, whatever they were thinking about, whatever they were talking about, God's glory shows up and they're terrified. And this is a normal reaction, by the way, in the scriptures. When God shows up and God fills a room, like something happens within us. Now, angels in general, all, all through the scriptures, scare people. Not chubby little baby. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to, God, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. Now this series, in a very real way, is not just a look at the characters, 
that we see in the Christmas story, but to see how they received God, to, to see how they received Jesus. And so here we have these angels show up, the glory, glory, they're surrounded by the glory of God, and the angels give them this message, and, and now they're worshiping. I mean, what a wonderful thing to, to, to see and to experience, like heavenly worship, God's angels worshiping him. Now, they, they'll give these men basically kind of a decision to make. They tell them that there's going to there's gonna be a baby that is going to be born, and he's going to be Savior. Now, you tell a man that there's going to be a baby born, and you need to go see them, uh, they're probably not real excited about that. I, I don't know. Maybe some of you men are. Um, but they say he's going to be Savior, and, and he's going to bring great joy. And these men have a decision to make. Are we going to listen to these angels in this moment? Are we going to listen to what we believe is God's glory showing up in our lives? And are we going to go to where God is calling us to go? Are we going to do the thing that God is calling us to do? So in verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. So what we see is the welcome, the shepherds here, they welcome this message. And they welcome this message, what, seem, what, what would seem like during a time that would be an interruption just to their ordinary lives as they're keeping the sheep. And one of the things as we look at the shepherds this morning that we need to be reminded of and, and think about is really simple is that God breaks into the ordinary. Is that God can show up in some really ordinary ways. One of the things I think a lot of us struggle with is that we see just general, like our life, the things, the everyday things of our lives as a distraction from God. The shepherds, though, are encountered by God while out at work. While out just doing their normal routine in the midst of their normal responsibility and God shows up. They didn't expect that to happen. I mean, they weren't, they weren't walking out to this field that night going, you know what, I bet we're going to encounter some angels. And they're going to tell us where to find God. And then there's, they're going to worship in front of us. And they're, they're, going to tell, they're going to let us know that we're going to get to be the first people to go see Jesus before anybody else outside his own mother and father. Dr. Park, as she was sitting in her apartment that day, she didn't look out her window and decide, like, I'm going to look at that plant and photosynthesis is going to lead me to God. That was probably one of the furthest things from her mind. And like the shepherds, in our lives, God often shows up in ways that we don't expect it, at times when we don't expect it. We can get in kind of a rhythm or a rut where we are primarily coming to church, and it's like there, that's the only place that we're going to encounter God. I at least hope you come here thinking like, hey, I'm going to encounter God, right? But, but sometimes this is the only place where we go to a retreat, or we're, during our, our Bible reading, or whatever it might be. And all those things are extremely important, and we should do all of those things. But every one of those things should prepare us to be aware of what God is doing in the ordinary, to prepare us to come into contact with God and to encounter God in the here and now. Jacob, 
uh, in the book of Genesis is one of these people that we see ha- this happening in and that we can learn from. Jacob is, by the way, he's promised basically uh, his father Isaac's promise and his father Abraham's promise that all the earth is going to be blessed through him, that he's going to have all of these, these kids and he's going to spread out and God's going to give him a land and a place and a people and that God is going to be with him. And to do that, Jacob understands that he's going to need to be, have a wife. And so what he does is he begins to travel to the place to find a wife. So he gets on Christian Mingle or uh, t- Tinder. Is it Tinder? I've been out of the game for a while. I don't know what's there. But so he's on his way to, to find his wife. And as he's traveling, because he's got to travel actually seven, or not seven, several hundred miles to get to the place that he's going. And so he's got to rest. And so he lies down. And it's really interesting. The Bible says he makes a, basically a pillow out of stones. And so, like, why even include that? And Jacob obviously wasn't very smart. But so he makes these pillow, this pillow out of, out of stones. Now, the stones are important because I'm going to tell you what, why they're important here because I'm not going to read all of the story. But after he encounters God here in a second, he's going to take these stones and he's going to set up an altar of remembrance. And here's why that's important. When you have encounters with God, when God shows up, you need to remember it. You need to remember it, not because you need to seek that experience over and over again, but that experience will remind you that there's more to come and to be aware of what is to come. And so this is where we jump into the story. He's asleep. And in verse 12, we're told he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now watch this. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. What we see here is that ordinary places are often the places of vision. Your car, your house, at school, at work. The shepherds are keeping watch at night, and they had this unforgettable encounter with God. Now, let's continue. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. How many of you are just like Jacob? How many of us are just like Jacob? That we go by our, our, our day-to-day, we're following the Lord, we're, we're even believing in his promises, and we are not aware that God is actually in our midst, that God is with you while you're at school, that God is with you while you are at work, that God is with you while you're in your home, with your family, while he's with you while you sleep. The beautiful thing about Jacob is that he wasn't aware, but he became aware. And this is a pattern, by the way, for God, to show up in the ordinary. Jesus does this. 
that Jesus is teaching by the sea, and he's, this is towards the beginning of his ministry, and he's beginning to draw a crowd, and people are coming to listen to him, and the crowds are pressing in, and he looks over, and he sees two boats on the shore, and the fishermen are washing their nets uh, that are there, and so he calls out to one of them, um, and we're about to pick up here, and his name is Simon or Simon Peter, so if I call him Peter, you'll know why. And so Jesus saw at the water's edge, Luke 5 here, verse 2, Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by some fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. There he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the net. Now, I love Peter. We all, a lot of us love Peter because Peter, a lot of us are like Peter, right? Where we would react the way that Peter reacts to Jesus. Jesus Peter has been fishing all day long. He has not caught a thing, and Jesus asks him to let down his nets. Now, Peter has got to be thinking, I am a professional fisherman. I've been doing this all day. I know what I'm doing. And Jesus, you have, you have the audacity to kind of show up and, and tell me to let down the, I'm tired. Like, stay in your lane. <laughs> you know? Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. I mean, here's like, this is like where, you know, those of you who just have friends that won't listen to you or kids that won't listen to you, but you know you're going to be right. Jesus just smiles, right? Told you. (laughs) But but really what's happening here is, is Jesus is showing that all of this that you're doing is my lane. All of this, it does belong to me. And verse 8, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. What's interesting here is that Jesus clearly chose Simon's boat. He clearly chose to be near Simon Peter. Now we have no idea actually really what Peter was like, Simon was like before Jesus shows up on the boat. Uh, What we do know is how Simon reacts to Jesus once he understands, begins to understand who Jesus is. His first reaction to being in the presence of God here is I am a sinner. His past probably is not great. You know, his ordinary is probably not great. And so what we see here is that even if our ordinary is sin, that sometimes our ordinary is darkness. Sometimes our ordinary is brokenness. Sometimes our ordinary is anger and rage and hurt and ignorance and all of these sorts of things. And we often take this on. And what we see here is that Christ chooses to step into this. 
And Jesus is not afraid of who you are. Jesus is not afraid to show up in the very moment that you are, no matter where you're at. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of where you've been. And so some of you might be in a place like Peter, where your ordinary isn't good. But you need not be afraid of Jesus, and he is not afraid of where you're at. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on the shore, and they left everything and followed him. Now Jesus clearly calls Peter to come and follow him in a special way here. Uh, Peter is going to become one of the greatest evangelists after Jesus' death. We know that if you know anything uh, about Peter. He's going to become an author of the Bible even. But one of the things we're even told about Peter after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter is, is speaking. People are, they're amazed at, at Peter because he's just an ordinary guy. They say this in Acts 4.13. How can this man preach and teach like this? They're ordinary and unschooled people. And then what they say is this is how they recognize that they had been with Jesus, that Jesus had, had given them a, a power and they preached and taught and they had a courage about them that showed that they trusted in Jesus more than anything else in this world. But they remained ordinary people. Let's return to the shepherds. Verse 17, chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, it says, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. So what the shepherds and Peter have in common here is after they have an experience with Jesus, after Jesus shows up, they decide that they're going to tell other people about Jesus. Verse 18, though, here we go, keep coming. All who heard the shepherd's stories were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just that the angel had told them. Now Peter, when he comes to Christ, Christ calls him, Jesus calls him, and he's going he's gonna to basically kind of leave fishing behind to a certain extent. He remained a fisherman, and we see him continuing to fish throughout the Gospels, but his, his, his kind of primary vocation seemed to be uh, speaking and teaching uh, about Jesus throughout his life after this. What I want us to see here about the shepherds, though, is a difference between Peter and the shepherds in a way that I think is important for most of us. And, and sometimes, right, we pastors or even professional Christians uh, can kind of make you all feel or just people feel in general like there's this there's this special calling. Like if you're not in ministry full-time or if you're not doing this or, or, full time or, or whatever, that God doesn't have the same type of call on your life or God isn't showing up or capable of showing up the same ways that he is in my life or anybody else's life who's ever on this platform. And, and maybe even sometimes, to be honest, like he can show up in your, your lives like in, in more real ways. But here's what I want you to see is that the shepherds remain shepherds. Like they... They didn't become superhuman. They didn't radically change or reorient their lives. They had the same routines. They had the same responsibilities. What I believe changed for them is that when they went out into that field at night, they expected to encounter God. They were ready to receive God. They believed that God could show up at any moment 
I, I can't believe that that night shift was ever the same. You know, okay. <laughs> Better not talk about that, right? And here's a real simple application for all of us, is that we welcome Jesus similarly to the shepherds did by living with expectation in the ordinary for God to show up. Look around the room. Students, God can show up in your school. Yes, people who work in child care. God can show up there, and you're going to need them. We have nurses in this room. God can show up there, and he's there. People who sell medical devices, business owners, people who work in construction, people with families, people without families. God can show up in all of your circumstances. And you can encounter him there. And he wants you to encounter him there. And he wants you to partner with him daily. And I think if we embrace that God is in our midst and that God is appearing and that God is leading and guiding us, and that's not something that is extraordinary, but it's something to be expected, like to look for the way that he is at work even when we are at work, is one of the things that we learn from the shepherds. I want to end by reminding you that the shepherds are not at all accidental characters in these stories. Jesus describes himself as a shepherd, as the good shepherd. And Jesus first appears or invites, excuse me, the shepherds to come see him because he wants to be yours. John 10 says this, is Jesus here. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Simon, I know you're a sinner. I know you're a screw up. I, I know you don't feel worthy to be in my presence, but that is not going to stop me. I love you. I will be a substitute for your sin. I'm going to get you out of that place. I'm going to give you the power you need to overcome it. He continues and says, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and, he, because, he, and because that person isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock and the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about his sheep. Jesus is with you at all times. He doesn't care who else is around you. He doesn't care who else has abandoned you. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't care what else is coming at you. He is going to remain there because you belong to him. And finally, watch this. It says, and I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and they know me. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What we're told is that those of you who know Jesus, who really know Jesus, you can hear his voice, and you know him, and he's guiding you. And he's saying, we'll listen. We will listen for him. 
And so listen and look for Jesus in all places, in every ordinary place that you step into. That's what we learn from the shepherds. That Jesus shows up into the ordinary. And he's there with you in your routines and in your responsibilities and through the ordinary. For some, this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus. I'm a big believer that Jesus is the reason that you're here. Is that he has showed up in your life before you even came into this room. And this might just be an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. That maybe you feel like the glory of God is pressing in on you. And to be honest, sometimes it is a scary thing to say yes to Jesus. And I believe that he would say to you the same thing that the angels said to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That there's a Savior, that there's a Messiah, that there is somebody who has paid the price for your sin, who went to the cross, who died, who loves you unconditionally and forever, who was put in the grave and then rose again so that we can have hope and joy in the ordinary. But what do you have to do? You have to listen to God. And if God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is calling you to go to Jesus, I'm asking that you do that today as well. Say yes to Jesus. There's nothing magical. I'm going to pray a prayer. Pray with me. The prayer does not save you. The prayer does not put you in a good place with God. There's nothing magical about it. You're there simply when you make Jesus your Savior and you decide to follow him Let's receive his Holy Spirit and be guided by him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you and we believe that you are in the ordinary, that you are in our midst and that we can have real encounters with God. Yes, we might not encounter an angel each and every day, but we are told, Father, that there is no place that we can go or to hide from your presence. And we believe that you are in this place and you are everywhere else that we go. And so I know that people have come in here with different things on their hearts and their minds, and I pray that you have spoken to them on a personal, on a, on a personal basis, that you have told them that the things that they need to hear this morning, that you're guiding them and directing them, maybe you're comforting them, maybe you're correcting some, maybe you're consoling some. Whatever it is, Father, we believe that you are in this place, that you are speaking, and I pray that each and every one of us are listening to your voice. I pray that we will listen now, and I pray that we will listen as we go. And I pray for those this morning, Father, who may have come in here, maybe they were invited by a friend or family member, or uh, maybe you told them sometime this week, you need to seek after me. You need to pursue me. And here's why, because you're pursuing them. You're guiding them. You're becoming their shepherd. Father, I pray that they wouldn't be afraid to say yes to you, that they would understand just like Simon did, 
Yes, of course we're sinners. Of course we are. But you love us anyways, and you went to the cross, and you died, and you bled for our sin, and you are our, our substitute. You have paid the price. You have paid it all. And you want to be the power to guide us out of sin and to raise us up and to give us hope. And Father, if you are calling somebody to your son, Jesus, I pray that they would say yes to Jesus today and decide to follow him. Father, as we continue to worship and pray, I pray that somebody has joy in this place this morning, that we, we honestly believe, Father, that the gospel is good news, that Jesus is good news, that when we get to come together, that we get to sing about that and praise about that, and that you're delivering people from anxiety and bringing them to a place of joy. And, and even if people have been there and they've forgotten, let them, let them re- think back to those stones of remembrance, Father, of what, the ways that you have showed up in their life and the promise that you're going to continue to in the future. So as we all stand here and sing and praise, Father, let this song be true, that there is joy in the house of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.